I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Editing Podcast. So we're delighted today to welcome another friend from across the pond. And this time it's editor C. Chapman. And C is going to talk to us today about conlangs um, or constructed languages. So welcome, C. Yes, welcome, C. Thanks so much for coming on. It's lovely to have you. So first of all, can you tell listeners a little about what you do and where you're from? Yes, uh, I've been an editor since 2006 and I've worked on a little bit of everything, but I've focused most of my efforts on editing creative writing over the last six or seven years. And lately I've been working as a technical editor by day and a fiction and games editor by night because it's easier to pay the bills that way. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm also a language enthusiast as most editors are, but beyond the world of our buddies, I'm also very involved with groups like the death positivity movement and the conlang community, um, specifically the language creation society. And I'm a baby conlanger by comparison to most other conlangers out there, but I love learning more and more about the creativity and thought that goes into language creation all the time. That's great, See, I think to kick off, um, we, we should probably clarify first what we mean um, by a conlang, because some people might not have heard that term. So can you tell us uh, what it means? And perhaps you could give us some examples. Um, actually, if you could speak a few words from a conlang, it would be great. I've been dying to ask that. Me too. <laughs> and so, the ruder the better. Oh, I wish. I One of my big struggles, so I, I have hearing loss, and I really struggle with some of the nuances with spoken language. And so that's one of my big hurdles as a conlanger. And so I, I actually look at a lot of signed conlangs, which oh, are unusual, nice. huh. um, and written conlangs. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy spoken conlangs, but I, I have a harder time grasping that. Right. Okay. So... Mm-hmm. But a constructed language is shortened to conlang in English, and it's an intentionally invented language. And I could go off on this all the time, so please tell me when you've had enough. <laughs> um, ah, but it's, it's essentially a language that doesn't develop naturally amongst like a specific population or culture group over time. It is instead deliberately designed by one or more creators who have specific intents, purposes, and applications in mind for that invented language. And by contrast, a natural language or a natlang, at least um, within the linguistic world, because natlang is also used differently within the conlanging community, a natlang uh, to linguists is a language that developed organically over time, um, say on a specific continent or among specific peoples or culture groups. And natlangs include living languages, revived languages, and dead languages, as well as creoles and signed languages. Um, Most conlangs attempt to mimic or blend facets of natlangs to come across as more natural and be easier to use. I mean, you've talked a little bit about about, about this already, but who's constructing these languages? Is is it linguists? And perhaps you can talk a little about the depth involved, because it's not... I think when I first came across this stuff, I thought it was maybe just transposing individual words. But sometimes <laughs> is there an, an, an entire grammar involved or are there different types of conlangs? So some of which are fuller or more complex than others. Oh, definitely. Um, so when you talked about transposing, um, that relates more to like ciphers and codes. And, and those aren't the same things as conlangs. Ciphers and codes rely on a natural language, an existing language in 
the real world mm -hmm. um, to give the cipher code meaning. And there is usually a specific pattern or formula that helps convert a natural language into a code or a cipher and back again. And they're meant to hide information from outsiders. Well, conlangs are not always created with that same intention. And while there are more and more linguists getting involved with conlang creation, especially graduate students studying linguistics, many conlangers are hobbyists with a just incredible breadth and depth of linguistic knowledge. I mean, some of these hobbyists have an understanding of linguistics that rivals many professional linguists. Wow. wow so yeah. might it be someone, for example, who's really into Star Trek, but they <laughs> have yeah. that. I mean, is that, is that like one example? So someone who's really into a particular sort of um, made up of fictional culture and then kind of develops and, and, and expands on sort of some of the stuff that's already been done is. is yes. I mean, if, and when we talk about, so Klingon's a, a fictional language and fictional languages, there's so many different kinds of conlangs. Fictional languages are, are one, and sometimes they're called oxlangs or artlangs, um, depending on how they're being used. Okay. And fictional languages essentially are intended to be as realistic and natural sounding and functioning as possible so that the fictional language can be portrayed as a natural language within a fictional setting. Um, and that enhances believability for world building. So Klingon specifically plays the role of a natural language within the fictional world of Star Trek, but outside of Star Trek, it's just a, a conlang. And so real languages include any working language in the real world, which includes both natlangs and conlangs, but a fake language is superficial and it's usually restricted to a handful of sounds or a string of sounds meant to imply real language where there isn't one. And like a language like Dothraki, Mm -hmm. The way that existed in the original books that the Game of Thrones series is inspired by, it's a sketch lang. It's it's a fragment. It's incomplete. There's no grammar and syntax like you mentioned. A, a conlang is a functional language that you could hold a conversation. Wow, in. right. It's a minefield, isn't it? Gosh, it yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so they had to hire someone to flush out these, you know, inconsistent little bits of nonsense from the books into an actual language. And that's what linguist uh, David J. Peterson did with the Throcky High Valerian and everything else. He actually um, is a part of the Language Creation Society community. And he found that job through the job board for the LCS. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so it's, it's easier in, I from what I think you're saying is it's easier in written language to just have fragments of it if somebody is writing um, a novel or something, but that's not a true conlang because it's not, it's not a functioning language. Is Correct. that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think that's where um, I'm most familiar with this sort of concept is yeah. in like science fiction and mm -hmm. fantasy books, TV shows and that sort of thing. So yeah. if, we're, if we're thinking about our listeners, um, our independent authors who might be writing in those genres and want to include um, a, a conlang or a sketchlang or wh whatever the actual correct term would be for it, should they even try doing it on their own is it is it feasible for somebody to create something from scratch it is feasible but they you have to go into conlang creation understanding the commitment involved yeah um <laughs> that's that I'm, get, I'm getting that yeah, yeah. No, I, think, I think when we started this conversation i hadn't quite realized that but now it's it's a whole bigger thing yeah. Yeah. One of the difficult parts with conlang creation is you have to have a really solid grasp on linguistics. And mm -hmm. if you don't, you must learn it. 
Um, and so having to teach yourself linguistics on your own and then kind of muddle through and create this horrible Frankenlang, which is a term for a really nonsensical pieced together language mm -hmm. that that's kind of what most people do when they first create a conlang is they create something that's just horrible and other conlangers, you know, will try to be polite and say, oh, this is nice and this is nice. And then they will just rip the rest to shreds. <laughs> right. And they, they're trying to be helpful, yeah. but it's, it, it can be really harsh and really intimidating because it is so complex. And it's not to say that a writer shouldn't try to write a conlang. It just takes a lot of practice and a lot of time. And I mean, usually when I encounter conlangs in fiction, what happened was I had a conlanger who had built this whole world around a language and, and built this series story Bible. And they wanted to edit, you know, the first book in that series. And this was, this was a monstrosity. It was like 300,000 oh. words. Oh, wow. And conlangers are very, very committed to world building for their languages when it's, it's something where they want to have like a history behind it, when they want to have a proto-lang. Mm -hmm. um, and have child languages and everything branch out from that and cultures tied to it. So authors who aren't wanting to become dedicated conlangers, by all means, go ahead and look at creating a sketch lang. And, and there's ways to do that where um, you focus on like maybe one or two phrases and then a handful of words. Mm -hmm. But I, I wouldn't push it much more than that. Um, you do want to have a basic understanding of like subject, verb, object word order mm -hmm. um, and how you're using that um, you want to mm -hmm. pay attention to if you're making it hard for readers if you're using like a string of consonants and they can't pronounce it they're going to look at this word that has x z t s b l <laughs> and they're just going to go oh that's the x word again yeah and they're not going to know what it is that's a really interesting point actually because i think i've come across a similar problem but in a very different context as uh, and when I'm editing and words come up in a foreign real language foreign to yeah. me mm -hmm. and and if I don't know how to pronounce that word then um, it immediately has less meaning for me and I just struggle over it and it actually pulls me out of the narrative and that's happened in non-fiction work as well and so thinking about it from the reader's point of view you know, there, there is the potential to cause readers to trip and then and then it becomes actually something that's not enriching the book anymore. It's actually, um, exactly. you know, kind of throwing um, readers out. That kind of moves on to my next question, which was going to be if you just want to include a few words here and there rather than going for this fuller, deeper construction. Um, you've already hinted at some of the rules um, that, you, you know, an, a, an author might have to think about. But um, what about tools that, that writers could use so they don't get in a pickle? So I'm thinking about how the author could help an editor keep track of, of the, the sketch lang or the, um, even if it's, you know, just something that's quite, um, you know, just the vocabulary and, and any grammatical rules that they've tried to construct. Usually, if they're a conlinger, like a tried and true conlinger, they're going to have a dictionary and a grammar that they've written that is that is very typical mm -hmm. okay. if it's an author who's just wanting to add um, a sketch lang into their fiction the best thing to do actually as an editor as long as you're contracted with them and you're comfortable with it or, or whatever circumstances feel best to you giving them a blank style sheet and encouraging them to fill out you know everything with with words and then adding notes about grammar syntax or phrases yeah I, I think it's the best way to help them help you 
yeah. is yeah. by letting them really collaborate on the style sheet with you. Okay. That That's going to make it easier for you as an editor, and it's going to make it easier for them to to communicate with you about what they want it to be, what their vision for that language is within the greater story. Yeah. Um, see, can I just ask quickly, this is a kind of more um, practical question, but if, if someone's editing with an author with quite an extensive um, vocabulary of constructed words, I mean, do, does that does that slow you down? Is that going to incur extra costs for the for the author because the editor has to take more time to look out for this kind of stuff? Is that something you would build into a quotation? Um, is that something that authors need to think about or or is it just kind of business as usual? The reality is I don't really know many editors that deal with conlangs at the level that I do. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I just yeah. I don't. Um, and so it's it's not something that I'd necessarily charge extra for. It's just I, I treat it as one of many factors, specifically complexity is yeah. what I'm considering mm -hmm. with that. And for me, the the biggest thing is I will usually do, you know, a, a quick skim over a manuscript and I'll tell authors, you know, I'm seeing that you're including a lot of the conlang and like a special script that's not even Roman type. Oh, gosh, and right. yeah. I can't read it. I don't see any translations anywhere for it. And until you can include translations and probably trim out maybe, you know, a third of it or a half of it from the overall text, this isn't going to be a manuscript that you can publish for, you know, a wider audience than just yourself. Okay. Yeah. So that's where somebody's got really caught up in it and has just written so much in it that it's actually... It, it's blocking almost the, the, the ability of somebody else to engage with the story because there's just too much of it. Is that right? Yes. And yeah. actually, interesting tidbit. So um, J.R.R. Tolkien, his books were all created specifically as a vehicle for conlangs he had created. He didn't write the books first and then create the conlangs. He created the conlangs first. And while in the past, like in the 17th century and, and everything, even, you know, um, 19th century, creating constructed languages, which were back then philosophical language, was meant to perfect language and improve it, and it was an intellectual pursuit. By the time, you know, that Tolkien was creating these languages, it was viewed more as kind of a idle mind is a devil's workshop type of thing, like who would right. do this, why would you do it, it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And he wrote his books to justify <laughs> how he spent wow. his time. That thing is really interesting. Yeah, and so a lot of conlangers, it's not to justify their conlangs, but they find joy in creating these worlds and these stories and these characters that give their conlangs life. Right. So and so, yeah. Yeah. So the stories are a vehicle for the language that they've created. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. that's a very different thing than an author who's like, I want to have an alien language because there's an alien in this scene. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. Great. See, if I could just ask about um sort of basic sort of rookie errors that you might see um with your authors who are attempting to use a conlang or a sketch lang, where do people tend to come unstuck? when they try this, but they've not really got any experience of it. Are there common errors? Yeah, the the most common is one that I mentioned earlier, where they're making the words unpronounceable. Right. Um, yeah. Or even they create their own special script that's not, again, in um, an alphabet that the reader's familiar with. Mm. 
um, or a syllabary that the reader's familiar with, um, depending on what audience we're talking about. But that that's one of the biggest problems. The other problem is when they're not including translations. And so mm -hmm. we just see a string of words that are foreign to us. We don't know what they mean. And it's supposed to be important in a scene. Um, a, a good example, and this is one that I've made up, but it's one that I use to show authors um, where there are problems, is let's say that you have a scene where a character is held hostage by um, some sort of alien creature that doesn't speak their the captive's language. Mm -hmm. And they're speaking to another creature, and the captive has no idea what they're saying, and we don't ever get to flip around to the creature's perspective, so we don't get a translation of what's happening. Mm. Right. And we just see this string of words, this conversation happening, where the captive's completely excluded. It, the only way that this works is if we're trying to make it obvious and apparent how distanced and excluded that person is. But you don't want to do it for too long or too many sentences. Often oh. the best thing to do is maybe have one sentence and, and they continued talking in this tongue that she did not understand. Right. Yes. 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 That's enough, yeah. isn't it? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Otherwise, it is just uh, it, it it kind of over overworks the point that the reader as well as the character um, the the viewpoint character don't know what's going on, and we yeah. don't have to be told that too often. And you don't know as a reader if is this important? Am I am I supposed to be yeah. um, understanding from this somehow what they're saying, or you know, am I meant to infer something? Um, you know, I, I suppose it would cause me to stop really if there was a conversation going on in in a language that I had no translation for. Well, it's a bit like, I mean, even just thinking about it in the real world terms, if I'm sitting at a table with with two people and they swap into a, a real language that they both speak, but I don't. OK, so for a few minutes, I, I think that's their thing. But if, if that conversation goes on for too long, then it becomes obvious that 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 I'm not welcome here and mm -hmm. I'm not part of that conversation. And so I'm going to move elsewhere. And you don't want your readers doing that. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um. See, are there any existing com common languages that um, you've kind of answered this, but I, when when we first started talking, but it would be nice for for listeners and for me, <laughs> and Denise, to <laughs> yes. just just really nail it, um, because it, it it because it is such a, a much more complex area than maybe a lot of people will realise. Are there existing common languages that conlangs or sketchlangs are are typically based on? And and is there a difference? I mean, when when people are sort of looking to borrow from e existing languages, does where you does where people live does that come into play at all? Do, do, are certain people in particular regions or countries more likely to swing towards certain language, or at least towards particular common languages with tonal particular tonal sounds? Does any of that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a lot of conlangers tend to focus on specific linguistic elements for their languages rather than recreating an existing okay. language. Yeah. Okay. So one conlanger I know avoided vowels in his conlang entirely, and he managed to pull it off. It was incredible. Um, wow. While another wanted to focus his phonology on unvoiced consonants. And so that said, I've encountered several Western conlangers specifically trying to reinvent Japanese <laughs> Right. I don't know yeah. why that seems yeah. to be a thing. Um, and they're usually like white male uh, fans of anime. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and I mean, I love anime. So that's part of the reason why I'm aware that's a thing. It's just interesting because that's really 
the most common uh, reinvention of language that I encounter. But it, I will say that most people tend to try to borrow from languages that are either extremely different than their own. Um, so an English speaking conlanger will try to borrow from, you know, Navajo and Swahili and uh, mm -hmm. Cantonese, mm -hmm. while you may have an Italian conlanger who is borrowing from French and Portuguese and Spanish, and it's all very close to their own language, but it's easier for them to do for their first conlang. Right. Um, people e either are overly ambitious with their first conlang or try to play it safe. Mm -hmm. um, I People in the conlang community tend to go to extremes. I don't really see people in the middle. <laughs> it's right. either I'm going to try all the very difficult, complex things, or I'm going to play it safe and stick with languages that are similar to my own. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. I'm finding this whole concept absolutely fascinating. I know. I, I, I know. I, I, you... we, could, we could talk all day, couldn't yeah, we, about this yeah. amazing thing? Yeah. So, see, we've touched on um, already about the the idea that an, an author or a creator of a conlang should um, help an editor as much as possible by um, filling out a comprehensive style sheet with, um, you know, instructions on grammar and syntax and things like that. Um, from the editor's point of view, once you're presented with, um, you know, a manuscript that has a conlang in it, are there particular things that the editor should be looking out for beyond consistency of spelling and that sort of thing or or this the the defined syntax and grammar is there are there any sort of things that you find that you tend to pick up that the the writer has overlooked um often it's overuse of the right calling. right um, and also using it in scenes where it serves no real purpose um there's no meaning for it to be there mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so if we have it where you know, two people are speaking in an alien tongue that is not English, and we're addressing a, an English-speaking audience in the in the text. Mentioning that they're speaking in the alien tongue is fine. Having to have a whole page of a conversation with a translation. Yeah, right. It, yeah. You know, it just um, becomes ink on the page, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, and it it that can be really frustrating for readers. And so, one of the big things when editing a conlang within a novel within a manuscript is looking for looking out for the reader looking mm -hmm. at it and saying is this going to overwhelm the reader is this going to help the reader is this going to help with world building or character development um, and paying attention to that reader perspective and and always keeping that at the forefront because while you want to help your author with their creative pursuits <laughs> with with language here um, the goal of their book should really be forefront and and addressing the correct readers uh, needs to happen. That's a really, really useful point. See, and I'm wondering from that, would you recommend then if somebody has written with a, a conlang that they should get something like a manuscript critique or involve a developmental editor at some point rather than going straight to line editing, even if they think they've got their structure sorted and what have you? Do you think there's value in them having it critiqued by somebody to just check for those sort of things? It's almost like a type of sensitivity reading you're yeah. suggesting. That's yeah. a well, really good point. Definitely. And I, I think that a manuscript critique is helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I also feel like it's it would be good for them to look to some of the conlang communities out there, which I'll, I'll touch on that in a, in a minute, mm -hmm. um, more 
specifically, but if they reach out to conlangers who have experience and say, hey, you know, I've included these lines of a sketch laying in my novel, and here's, you know, the rules that I've developed for it and kind of some background, what do you think? And they'll get some critiques back that will be really helpful. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And from the editorial side, um, a manuscript critique is good. Developmental editing is a must, I think, yep. when you involve a conlang. Um because you, you really need to look at it from the both the macro perspective and the micro perspective, paying attention um, to not only how it influences the story, but how it influences a specific scene um, and and incorporating in a way so it flows smoothly. Um, not mm-hmm. not necessarily smooth writing because that's line editing later. Yeah, um, yeah. But making the story flow. Yeah. That makes, yes. That's that's great advice. So kind of following on from that, um, are there any particular resources that you can recommend for authors or editors who want to dig deeper into constructed languages? Oh, definitely. Um, so the Language Creation Society's website is conlang.org. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing resource. There's a conlangers library on there. Um, there's there's so many things on there that people can use and the LCS community is one that we can all learn from or turn to for help. They're they're really they're really welcoming. Um and there's conlanging groups elsewhere online too, like the Conlang subreddit or the constructed languages group on Facebook or even the Con Workshop Forum. Um and there's podcasts, uh, Linguifex and Conlangery and, and more. So those are those are all good places to start. That sounds great because if somebody's uh, new to writing um, science fiction or fantasy and they're thinking that they might want to include a sketch lang or a con lang, they might even not be familiar with those terms. It's great to be able to point them in the right direction and say, you know, realise what you're getting into, yeah, I think, yeah. would be the big thing. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely um, link to those and make sure that everything that you've mentioned um, is in the show notes, see. That's well, been if, really, really useful. Yeah. Yeah. One well, of I have a handout that I made for it. I gave a presentation on conlangs at the ACES conference in 2018. Yeah. And if anyone wants a copy of that, they're free to to contact me, and I'm I'm happy to send that off. It's quite large, so it's it's probably easier <laughs> if okay. I get a link together for that. That's great. Fantastic. That'd be really good. Thank you so much. See, that's brilliant. Really interesting, see. Yeah. Wonderful. yeah. Thank you both. You're very welcome. So, so pleased to have you here. It's been great. So uh, now it's time for Editing Bytes, which is our regular feature where we recommend a tool or a resource to help you on your writing journey. We've already had loads from C today. <laughs> <laughs> People have got a lot of homework to do on Conlang yeah. now. Uh, but Louise, what have you got for us this week? something with a little more light relief (laughs) so (laughs) mine is a a free 45 minute webinar in which the wonderful Ian Banks talks to the Open University about how he builds planning into the overall overall writing process how world events have impacted on his writing about genre and the um, impact on sales and reader accessibility and about the digitization of his books I love Banks's stuff and and the the sci-fi and the weirdy contemporary fiction yeah yeah and 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 in this webinar it just comes across he's really listenable down to earth thoughtful quite funny at times but overall he just gives really good interview no con lang words in this but um (laughs) uh, or sketch lang or whatever the right terminology is but um, (laughs) I read that series that culture series um eons ago and so Mm -hmm. I searched it up when I knew we were going to be chatting about this and he has um 
uh well i don't know maybe it is a conlang or maybe it's a different different um it's got a different tag to it but i think it's yeah. called moraine and mm-hmm. um and that's got its own font too um so i'll stick the links right. to that webinar in the in the show notes there and, cool. and to the and to the language brilliant great well my bite is is a book that i learned about um just yesterday when i was listening to the illusionist podcast in the car um, a previous episode of it it's a book by paul baker who's a professor of english language at lancaster university here in the uk and it's called fabulosa the story of polari britain's secret gay language um, I don't know, are you familiar with Polari at all? Yes. 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 It's so great. It's great, isn't it? Now, it's not a conlang. It's it's like a... It's, it's like a, an, a secret language a for secret a language, gay men yeah. back in the That's day. That's it. Yeah. So it's a secret informal way of identifying and communicating within a specific group. So in this case, it's mainly gay men, but also people in theatre have used it a lot as well. Um, and it was used at a time when being gay was a criminal offence. Um, my personal knowledge of Polari is from um, the BBC radio comedy of the 1960s, Round the Horn, um, which had characters Julian and Sandy in it who used elements of Polari um, and they would say things like, oh, how bona to vaddy your dolly old eek and things like that. <laughs> that sounds so good with a Scottish accent. <laughs> it's even better if you can imagine it with Kenneth Williams saying it. In fact, Ooh. I think we should put a link in the show notes to a little clip from Round the yeah, Horn. Definitely, definitely. So if you're interested in learning more about Polari, um, this should be well worth the reading. There's a, there's a website that, of the research that Paul Baker has done as well. But it's, it's just, it's a lovely, um, interesting aspects of language that's fantastic very cool yeah. but that's it see a massive thank you for a really entertaining episode that was brilliant and thank um, you both you're very welcome so so lovely to have you and to our listeners we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have thank you for tuning into the editing podcast you can rate review and subscribe to us via apple Podcasts, spotify or whichever platform you prefer and we'll put all the links to everything we've mentioned in the show notes so you can grab everything there thank you once again c for being an amazing guest bye bye bye, bye. bye.